0: Thank you, choir. Thank you, Jessica, too. That was beautiful, beautiful song. Is that Nicole Norman? Is that what you told me? Man, she's such a good writer. That's just a beautiful song, but wonderfully done, too. On this Mother's Day, I want to begin by talking about my mom a little bit, my own mother, Kay, Kay Parker, Mama Kay. i got to be careful here because she and my dad record our services every Sunday when, and by about 2 o'clock p.m. each week. They have already watched the entire service. They have something to say about the choir, the music always, and my preaching, of course, and it's always complimentary. And mom's always my biggest fan, which which is always nice to, to have a cheerleader in your corner. And my mom's a very intelligent woman, and, and she's something of a childhood expert. She worked at Lifeway for, for many years, part-time when my sister and I were young and and then she worked full-time for LifeWay for 11 years, full-time in children's publishing. So she made it a point to always be on top of the latest trends and research. And she would read books and articles on parenting and on, she's a birth order expert. You know what that is? Like first child, typical first child behavior. You know, May or Jude will do something. She'll say, oh, that's classic, uh, you know, second child behavior, you know. And she's she's something of a, childhood expert. And and of course, as a child, I was always testing her parenting skills. You're welcome, mom, uh, for that. And of course, early on, my parents diagnosed me as having a condition known as strong-willed. That's apparently a thing. And apparently, it's genetic, I guess, because Jude, you know, uh, yeah. And it, Morgan definitely didn't have a strong will as a child, so... Guess, got nobody to blame but me but as a strong-willed child I uh, always demanded a reasonable justification for any kind of instruction that that my parents would give me they would say clean your room and I'd say okay but why I'm just going to go play in there and get it dirty in a minute so there's really no point so you know therefore your argument is invalid <laughs> and my mom would always reply because I said so or because I'm the mom you ever hear that I probably heard one of those two replies over 10,000 times in the course of my childhood, because I said so. She was trying to teach me obedience, right? Just simple, blind obedience, to simply follow the authority that the Lord had placed over me in his sovereign plan for my life, because my mom knew better than me, because my mom loved me. And she wanted what was best for me, which was to learn to obey and to trust the authority that had been placed over me because she actually did know best. So I'm still working on this uh, curiosity thing. I still like to question why. I still like to know the reasoning behind some sort of instruction. So this morning, I I want us to ask this very serious question, why Evangelize. Why evangelize? Why evangelize? Is this just some kind of church growth strategy that Nathan is, is kind of forcing on us, trying to get us to spread the good news, trying to get us to share the gospel with other people around us? Is it some sort of scheme that the staff has concocted? Or does God actually want us to do this? Does God actually have a plan in which evangelism is a key component. So what's the point of evangelism? Is it, is it so we can simply grow larger as a church, have more people, have more money, or is there a bigger part of a plan in place? My hope is that by the end of our time here this morning that we'll be able to see that God is saying to our hearts, I want you to evangelize because I said so, and because I'm the sovereign God of the universe who loves you and wants what is best for you and for your church. And evangelism is a part of that. So our text for this morning comes from Deuteronomy chapter 4. And before we read it, I, I just want to give you some some context of where we're at in the Bible here in Deuteronomy. At this point, the Israelites have been whining and wandering around the desert for 40 years living on manna and quail, and finally they've come to the plains of Moab, just east of the promised land. They're, they're gathered together, you know, probably two million is what uh, scholars believe, two million Israelites assembled on the plains of Moab, looking westward across the Jordan River into the promised land flowing with milk and honey. And the time has come now finally for them to enter into the land. So Moses, the great prophet of God who has led them up into this point ever since they left Egypt for the last 40 years, he assembles them all together to give him his final words, his farewell address, because Moses knows he will not be entering into Canaan. God has told him it's time for Joshua to take over, and, and Moses knows these are the, the, the last words he's ever going to be able to say to his special uh, spiritual offspring, his spiritual children that he's been leading for this whole time. So let's stand as we hear the word of the Lord together, if you're able to. Deuteronomy chapter four, verses one through eight. Moses said to the people of Israel, and now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you. Sounds like my mom. Listen to the statutes and the rules that I'm teaching you and do them, that you may live And go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving to you. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor. For the Lord your God destroyed, destroyed from among you all the men who followed the Baal of Peor but you who held fast to the Lord your God are all alive today. See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding. And here's the evangelistic part. In the sight of the people's, who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has the statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Now some of you Bible scholars may be thinking, wait a minute, last week you talked about what the word evangelism means, and you said it was all about good news, the good news that Jesus Christ came to earth as God in the flesh, and lived a perfect life among us, and then died a perfect death in our place, and then rose again, defeating the power of death and sin forever. You said that was the good news. Why are you dragging us back to the Old Testament? Well, I also mentioned last week that the gospel begins in Genesis, not in Matthew. That God has an unfolding plan of redemption that doesn't just start at the beginning of the New Testament, And this plan from the beginning of all time is is to allow his perfect creation to be subjugated to, to sin for a season in order that he may display his glory and might by bringing it all back to himself and redeeming it, displaying his perfect glory, might, and love. This plan of God is known in theological studies as the Missio Dei, the mission of God. You know, we we talk a lot about missions in a Baptist church. We have a missions committee, and I think a lot of us realize that evangelism is, is under the umbrella of, of missions. We take missions trips in this church. We have a long history of that. You can read all about it in our new book from this corner. It has every mission trip and every participant listed. That was one of the hardest jobs, Susan said, of that whole book. So underneath all this giving, we, we have missions offerings. And underneath all of our missions trips and missions strategies and missions, efforts that we do. Underneath all of that, there is a mission. There's a mission of God that drives all of this. Mission means purpose or goal. So what is God's purpose? What is God's goal? What is he about? What is God trying to achieve in this universe? Well, let's look at what God's word tells us about His grand purpose, about God's overarching plan. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 9 and 10 says that God, in his grace, is making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, when the time was ripe. What's that plan? It's to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. We know that right now in this world we live in, things are not all currently united to God, are they? That when sin entered the world back in Genesis 3, the creation was ripped from unity with God. Creation fell out of union with God. It fell out of harmony with God. The very good creation was subjected to death and darkness and decay. And since that time, God has been about the work of bringing it all back to himself. So the the plan that God has is a plan of redemption, of, of salvation, of reunification. That's his mission. That's his purpose And that purpose, that mission, involves us. We have a part to play in this plan. Part of the the plan all along was for God to call into existence a people for himself. A people that he would use in this plan of redemption. They would be his special family. God's own sons and daughters adopted into the family of God. In Deuteronomy chapter seven, a few verses after this, verse six, Moses says to these beloved chosen people, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. That means set apart, consecrated. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. You are God's treasured possession. He's chosen you out of all the options that he had. And God started this special family, we know, with one guy. We've talked about this before. Abram of Ur. The, the call to evangelize, to, to spread the good news, didn't begin in, in Matthew when Jesus gave the Great Commission, right? But I told you, it, it begins really... When God chose to start his own family in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. I've preached on this before, but it's such an important passage for evangelism. It says this Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. We don't have that one on the computer? Genesis 12? Oh, okay. Man, it's good. <laughs> it's such a powerful and important passage. It really is. In it, God lays out his plan for his people. They're going to be a great nation. They're going to be fruitful and multiply. They're going to be blessed by God. Why? Why will they be a blessing? So they can live their best lives? So they can have some cool stuff? So they can really enjoy this temporary earthly life? No. They're blessed in order that they will be a blessing. To who? to all the families of the earth, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed by this special people of God. You know, our own choir member and resident John Denver, uh, Mark Anderson, had that catchy slogan that he came up with after I preached on this uh, a few months ago. Uh, I, I was talking about how God pours his blessings on us and that we shouldn't hoard them like a bowl that just holds all these blessings, right? But that we should be a sieve, right? A sieve allows liquid to pass through it. And we should operate as a sieve where God's blessings flow through us into the world, that we are a conduit of God's blessing. And Mark, as as his brain tends to do, fashioned that into this little catchy phrase. He said, don't roll like a bowl, live like a sieve. I thought that was genius. Just I'm going to put that on a t-shirt or something. I'm sure it'll sell millions. This passage though in Genesis 12 shows us that at this point in the story of, of everything ever in the Bible, at this point, God's plan is to form a holy nation that will be a key part of his plan to redeem all things. They will be the sieve. They will be the utensil through which his blessing comes into the world to reverse the curse of sin and suffering and to bring all of this fallen creation back to holy perfection. That blessing of God comes through God's people. And and what does that blessing entail? Is it a a material blessing like God will make us rich? Not necessarily necessarily. Okay, so then is it only a a spiritual blessing, like God will do something in our hearts and in our souls and and not really have anything to do with our life's circumstances? Well, no, not necessarily. The word for blessing in, in Hebrew is barak, and it has to do with fruitfulness, abundance, filling, multiplication. It has to do with an overflow sort of idea. It's what God desires for humanity and for the rest of creation. It's, it's what God's plan was in the beginning. So it, it, he wants to reverse the curse of sin, which is the opposite. Death, decay, destruction. God wants to build up and multiply. But God's blessing is more than simply a, a flourishing or abundant life. At the, at the end of the day, God's blessing must entail overcoming the greatest consequence of sin, which is death and eternal separation from God forever. We call that overcoming of death and overcoming of sin and overcoming of hell, we call that salvation, deliverance. God's blessing must entail salvation because salvation is the fulfillment of God's purposes, his good purposes for creation. The blessing was supposed to come through God's people in the Old Testament, through Abraham's descendants who became the 12 tribes of Israel. And and here's the point of today's message. The same thing is true in the New Testament, that God's blessing is supposed to come through God's people. And God is still planning on using his people to spread his blessing into this world. Fallen world, and that is where evangelism fits into this picture. Genesis 12 is a, a, a sort of great commission on its own, isn't it? If you if you break it down, those three verses into what they really say, it, it says, Go and, and I will bless you, and you will be a blessing, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Do you know what I mean when I say a great commission? You know, this is kind of church lingo, and the, the Barna Research Group, they're kind of a church research group. They, they did a study recently on the Great Commission, and they, they asked churchgoers, people who were attending church regularly, at least once a month or more, what is the Great Commission? And, and over 75% of them didn't know what it was. Over 51% said they had never heard of it before. They'd never heard that term, the Great Commission. Another quarter, 25% said they'd heard it, but they had no idea what it meant or what it was talking about. Only 17% of churchgoers could say what the Great Commission was even about. The Great Commission, as we know it, is the common name for Jesus' final words as recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. To his disciples, right before he ascends back into heaven. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19, 19 through 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. What does that sound like? Genesis 12. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I, I'll argue that this passage has a lot to do with discipleship as well. Go and make disciples, but the first step in discipleship is evangelism, right? Evangelism must take place before we disciple. You have to enter through the gospel before you are discipled into a follower of Christ. So the foundation for God's mission is what Jesus is expounding on here in Matthew 28. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations. Go, be a blessing, and I'll be with you always, blessing you with spiritual resources in order to do that which I have called you to do. Both texts, Genesis 12 and Matthew 28, talk about God using his people to bring salvation to the world by proclaiming good news to the world. You know, last week we said that the mission of God's people is to bring good news into a world where bad news is endemic. We call this good news the gospel, the news that God hasn't abandoned us to our own devices but came in person to rescue us. And that rescue comes through grace, by grace through faith, Galatians chapter 3 tells us that the gospel came to Abraham. What? Old Testament? Way back in Genesis 12. Paul says in Galatians 3, chapter 3, verse 7, know then it is those of faith who are the sons and daughters of Abraham. That's us. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, that's us, by faith, preached the gospel beforehand, to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. We are blessed now in order to be a blessing. We are now the sons and daughters of Abraham, which means we have a job to do. We have the job of telling others of the blessing of God, of his salvation that is now in Christ Jesus. We are now the covenant people of God. Granted, it is a new covenant and a better covenant, not like the old one based on the law. But we as as Christians, the church, have a crucial role to play in God's plan of redemption. Paul is clear on that. A few verses later in chapter 3, in verse 29, he says, If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. Heirs according to the promise. It couldn't be any clearer. If you are in Christ, you are Abraham's offspring. You've been given this missional charge to go into all the world and tell of the good news of Jesus Christ. So if the church is now the people of God, this has huge implications for the text that we read first, Deuteronomy chapter 4. This passage is really about cultivating a missional magnetism. A missional magnetism. That means that we are intentionally seeking to draw others to Christ, that we have a sort of attraction about our lives and about our beings that draws people not to us, but to Christ. Look back at verse 5 in Deuteronomy 4. Moses says, See, I've taught you statutes and rules that the Lord God commanded me that you should do them in the land that you're entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who when they hear all these statutes will say, Surely this is a great nation. Surely this nation is a wise and understanding people, for what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? That was the song Jessica sang earlier, wasn't it? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? You know, last week I I said that I, I want Woodmont to be a church that has a culture of evangelism, we got to work on that. The key is is intentionality, that we want to see lost people come to faith in Jesus Christ, that we care about the lost and the searching, that we're burdened for them. And one key way to to create a culture of evangelism is to start living out a missional magnetism. Missional magnetism that, that attracts others to Christ by the way that we live our lives. I see three key takeaways here in verses six, seven, and eight that I want to share before we close that will help us live a life of missional magnetism. They all have to do with living lives of openness and willingness and availability. The first one is we have to be open to being seen. You know, our culture is always moving more and more towards privacy and autonomy, right? I don't want others to know what I'm doing or what I'm being, But it's clear here in scriptures that God's people are called to be a city on a hill, a lamp that is not hidden. Jesus tells his followers that by your good works, people will glorify your Father in heaven, right? We are called to be seen by the world, to live lives of openness. Verse 6 says that we live our lives in the sight of the peoples around us. People are watching us. They're watching us more than any of us realize. Any parent can tell you that. We all impact others around us in indelible ways, but our lives speak loudly about who we are and about who our God is, right? If you go out to eat today and you're dressed nicely, your server may assume that you are a Christian. In the Bible Belt, that's a reasonable assumption, So the question isn't, are you witnessing to your server? The question is, what are you saying about Jesus to your server? Because everything you do is speaking about the the Savior that we claim to worship to your server today. Are you generous? Are you kind? Are you compassionate? My wife has to help me sometimes with service, be those kinds of things. If we live the kind of lives that God has prescribed for us in Scripture, generous, kind, loving, if we do that, people will notice. We will develop a reputation. What kind of reputation? Well, verse 7 says people will notice two things about us. First, they're going to notice that we're near to God. That song that Jessica sang was about an intimate relationship with God who we can call on any time knowing that he is near and that he hears us and we call him by name. We'll have a deep and abiding relationship with the living God through our faith in Jesus Christ and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And then verse 8 tells us that people will also notice the righteousness of our law. What does that mean? It means that our way of living as Christians, as prescribed in Scripture, our way will actually lead to justice for the poor, for the, for the marginalized, for the needy. It means that our way of living as prescribed in Scripture will guide others into true hope in a world full of despair. That it will bring healing in the midst of pain and loss it means that our way will provide freedom from the bonds of addiction if people are going to see these things in us then we must be open to being seen second we must be open to comparison the the question that others ask about us in, in verse seven and verse eight invite comparison what other people have an intimacy with god Let's compare. Let's look at at, at the culture, what the culture says around us. Let's debunk the lies of culture and take them apart and expose them for the lies that they are. What other religion actually makes such an impact on our community? We are opening ourselves up for comparison. You know, the culture around us is full of these competing truth claims, these competing political and ideological answers to the problems that we face. We have to say to the world, go ahead. Examine these competing truth claims with what we believe and see which one is really true and life-giving in the end. We're confident that Christianity will expose these lies for what they are, but we don't do this as a moral majority. We do this as a prophetic minority with grace and with truth. Third, we must be open to challenge. Are we open to this challenge that is before us? This is not easy to live in such a way that people notice the goodness of our God. One of the guys in our tuesday morning men's group we were talking about evangelism he said as soon as you have a spiritual conversation with someone and tell them that you are a christ follower you've outed yourself as a christian and they're going to be judging you and, and saying you're a hypocrite and you know what they're right <laughs> we all are we all fall short of the standard of god's glory and god's perfection romans three twenty three says we're all hypocrites in some way shape or form but we can be open to that kind of challenge and say, I am a Christ follower, I'm doing the best I can. Are you ready for that kind of challenge? Is your life open to be seen and to be compared for the sake of cultivating a missional magnetism, drawing people to Christ? You know, I I quoted the uh, brilliant Anglican priest, John Stott, last week, and I want to do it again today. 30 years ago, he wrote this non-christian people are watching us we claim to know to love and follow jesus christ we say that he is our savior our lord and our friend what difference does he make to those christians the world asks searchingly where is their god it may be said without fear of contradiction that the greatest hindrance to evangelism in the world today is the failure of the church to supply evidence in her own life and work of the saving power of God. Rightly, may we pray for ourselves that we may have God's blessing and mercy and the light of his countenance, not that we may monopolize his grace and bask in the sunshine of his favor, but that others... May see us in his blessing, may see in us his blessing and his beauty, and be drawn to him through us. Is your life a magnet for the mission of God? We, as God's people, are called to live in such a way that draws others to Christ. We have to be intentional about it. It's not about God's blessing for our sake, but for the sake of others. Are you up to that challenge today? Let us pray. Lord God, forgive us for hoarding your blessings like a bull. Help us to remember that we are called to be your people who are set apart from the rest of this world in order to bring your blessing to a world that needs it so badly. That we are called to bring good news to a world where bad news is endemic. God, I pray that we would live lives where we are intentionally showing the goodness and the greatness of our God to the lost and the searching around us. I pray that you would place on our hearts right now specific people who we influence with our lives every day. Our coworkers, our family, our friends, our neighbors, May we show them what kind of God you are by the way we live our lives. Forgive us of being poor examples of the Christian faith. We've all fallen short. May we live lives that are open to being seen, open to being compared, and open to being challenged to uphold this standard for the world around us. May we show forth your grace, your mercy, your love, your power, your glory, your might, and your love by the way we treat our server at lunch today, by the way we treat our family, by the way we treat our friends, by the way we treat our co-workers, and may we do so knowing that you are using us to spread your blessing in a world that needs it so badly. We love you, O God, and we pray all these things in the high and the holy name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. We're going to move into a time of invitation. We're going to sing, we are called to be God's people, showing forth his grace by our lives every day. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ and the free gift of salvation that he offers, this is the best time to do so right now. I'd love to, to, to have you come forward during the invitation and talk about what that looks like with me right here. If you've you feeling like you're ready to join Woodmont Baptist Church as a member of this church and, and covenant with us to be a part of what God's doing here, it really is incredible what the Lord's doing. We are seeing him move in amazing ways. The men's breakfast yesterday, Calvin said, I had to go home and have a good cry afterwards. I, I came home and, and gushed about it to, to my wife and told her about what, a, what an awesome time it was. If you need family to do life with, this is a, not a perfect place. We are full of imperfect people but if you need a place to do that, we'd love to talk with you about what that looks like to be a member at Woodmont Baptist Church. If you just want to come and pray, if you just want to come and, and be a part of what God's doing and, and bring your soul and your heart to where you your, your, bring your body to where your soul is here at the altar and come and pray, we invite you to come and pray at the altar during this time. Trey, I'll ask you to, to come and stand here and Rachel, if you don't mind to come stand here. If you want to pray with Trey or Rachel, they're going to be available as well during this time to pray with you and pray for you if you want to do that or you can just come kneel Whatever it is that you need to do during this time, this is a time of invitation and response. Let's stand and sing. We are called to be God's people.